welcome to the Pillars of Health podcast with resident strength coach, John Carroll. The Pillars of Health is on a quest to help you gain insight into the best ways you can manage stress, sleep, exercise, and nutrition in order to live your best life. Stay up to date with the Pillars of Health podcast by checking out our Facebook and Instagram pages, as well as CoachJohnCarroll.com. Welcome back to another episode on the Pillars of Health podcast. My name is John Carroll. Today I'm joined by Alex Tansky. Hello again, John. Good to have you on, my friend, and Chris Mullins. Hey, guys. Always a pleasure. So today we are discussing common client questions, and this podcast is basically a, a year on, or just over a year on, from when the three of us got together initially to start the Pleasure Health. And exactly, exactly. I kind of remember that first episode, and I just was always afraid I was going to say something wrong, or I'd so, somehow like drop an F-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about the power of editing, and uh, I definitely remember thinking, what am I going to say? I've never been on a podcast before, you know? As well as that, though, you you feel under pressure initially because, like, well, I have to put this conscious stream of words together that has no space or gaps in between, you know? I was like, that's what editing is for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I think I was kind of expecting it to be, like, this, like, smooth conversation. Right. That would be like perfectly flowing from one topic to the next, but there was uh, there was a lot of awkwardness. <laughs> oh yeah, especially in the <laughs> in first, first one, right? So, yeah, so kudos to your editing skills there, John. <laughs> it's definitely gotten better remember. as it's gone on, though. Oh yeah, I also remember just looking at I think when we where we were recording it, I was just like looking at people on the street and wondering like if they could tell what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. We're, it was like a uh, radio call-in show. Set up. <laughs> it was. Yeah. All three of us. All three of us wearing headphones. We had mics. Almost like the Today Show. People are just standing outside, staring in at us. <laughs> yeah, you know, we had quite a crowd looking in at us too. Was, yeah. Okay, you know? <laughs> eating his ice cream. <laughs> so let's get straight in. Uh, icebreaker question: Funniest thing you've seen in a gym over the years? Let's go, Alex. Hmm. I'm trying to think. I think now being in more commercial facilities, I've seen a lot of wacky things. So, but I, I'll say the, the funniest thing that still stands out to me is just the noises that are made by by guys going hard on like their tricep like pushdowns and like their lat pull downs and whatever, where it almost feels like. You know the movie Junior, where Arnold Schwarzenegger is giving birth. That's what it kind of sounds like. But I would say that's that's usually that's usually still the funniest thing to me is just all the noises when you think about people that are uh, much stronger and they don't really tend to like give a whole show as they're working out. So, right. how about you, Chris? I do always get a chuckle at the uh, the little diagrams that are on the machines that suggest what exercises you should do. Because they look nothing like what the exercise actually should be. Right. You know how those those cable machines, they say, here, to do, uh, you know, a hack squat, do this. And you're looking at it, you know, what is that supposed to be? This, like, little 3D, like, pedestrian crosswalk person, you know, lifting a bar, lifting a cable machine. It's just, um, those things always give me a chuckle from gym to gym. But when it comes to, like, what I've seen in the gym, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely... 
I definitely have experienced some of what Alex is saying with the uh, the noises and um, like really grunting hard at those bicep curls. Um, if you don't grunt, but... they don't don't grow. So, right, yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's the bro code right there. That is. Isn't that, I think that's brawl brawl law number one oh six from the bro bible that is <laughs> from the bro bible. Yeah, but you kind of kind of referring to your point, Chris. The uh, the diagrams. I will say I love the good morning diagram where this guy has the best pelvic position ever and his hamstrings can go wherever he wants and he does a good morning with like hyperextended knees and stuff. It's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> like that's not a human being <laughs> so we are getting into client questions we're going to start off we're going to hit back up with alex what stretches should i do what are some good ways to stretch a joint <laughs> this is uh this is definitely a common one how do you go about answering that one alex yeah so that's i feel like i get that almost every initial assessment or even like littered throughout when just working with somebody they just will ask that and I understand where they're coming from because when you go on like the when you go on the the Instagrams of the world, like you see all these like crazy stretches and all this stuff. So like I understand what they're seeing, but it's almost like, dude, at the same time, we like that is like 1995. All right, so let's get let's get like way beyond just stretching, because really, there's a reason why something is either tight or something feels tight. And that's what we should be addressing rather than just like, you know, we need to stretch because it feels good. Um, because scratching mosquito bites feels good as well, but that doesn't mean that's a good strategy for it. So what I usually try to do is just try to just ask again, like, well, why, uh, why are you, why do you want to stretch this? And we start having more of a conversation and it usually comes about into, you know, let's not just stretch, let's do a variety of other things that are going to attack the problem of why someone's tight in the first place. Because when someone just goes into a stretch and they just start blindly stretching something, they're really just giving themselves a lot of laxity in a particular joint or something like that. Um, so they're not really getting what they want out of it. And I know Chris and I have talked about this where someone who, let's say someone has back pain and their solution is to stretch both their hamstrings and their quads. Um, and you think about the role and you're like, wait a second. If you think about the role in the pelvis, you're like, wait, how, why are you stretching both? Isn't that just going to be a net zero if you're stretching both? <laughs> so it just, just trying to talk through their, um, their decision-making process a little bit more and, Instead, just saying, "Hey, if we can, if we can attack our uh, rib cage, we can attack our pelvis. We can, we can work on breathing. We can um, just be more mindful about how we attack certain exercises. That's going to do a lot better of a job than just blindly uh, stretching. And that's usually where I'll go. But, but yeah, it can be, it can be a tough, it can be a tough uh, myth to crack for a lot of people because that's probably all they've heard for years and years and years. Right. And this is something we kind of discussed yesterday, Chris. Right, when we were talking about. Uh, someone who had a bad shoulder and if someone was to just treat or look and examine that shoulder they're kind of missing the big picture right yeah it's it's like Alex said it's a tough tough sell and it's a tough buy-in just because it's number one it's so pervasive everywhere you look it's like oh you have a tight enter this muscle here just do this stretch and boom it's that simple it's fixed but meanwhile people are stretching 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 and they're still as just as as tight 
uh, that muscle that is still is just as tight as it always feels, but somehow they have more range of motion. But as Alex alluded to, maybe that range of motion, most likely that range of motion is actually coming from the joint capsule itself. And when your body senses that instability in that joint capsule, because we've stretched out all those you know, ligaments, um, then those muscles are just going to tighten up more to create some security that is lost from those passive structures. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a an oversimplification, but we want quick fixes, you know, and uh, we don't want to. You know, think a lot of times we don't really want to work to get to a certain point. When something feels this way now, I want it to be fixed now, um, rather than stepping back and asking, oh, well, why? You know, what's what's going on? Let's look at the big picture. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, that kind of leads us back to you, Chris. You're going to do a back-to-back here. Um, if someone says to you, my heart rate just runs high, what are you taking from that, and how do you go about explaining it to someone that may not be the case? Well, we have to ask a few questions first, like, okay, well, you know, why do you feel that way? Can you give me an example of some uh, instances where – um, you feel like your heart rate is running high or, or racing and inevitably it comes down to you know exercise and uh, whenever I do this exercise um, I just I get winded or I feel my heart rate you know racing so just specifically specifically addressing that scenario uh, say for example it's you know when I go for a run when I go for a run I get this a lot um, when I go for a run my just my heart rate just jumps up that's just the way it is it just runs high and I usually say, well, let's look at your pace. Um, let's look at, you know, if there's any technique flaws. Maybe your body's just working harder. Maybe it's something maybe as simple as, you know, all right, well, maybe you're, you're um, just going out too fast in the beginning. Um, so just scaling that back and just kind of trying to make the connection with people that your heart rate is just an indication of how hard your body is working to complete a given task at that moment. So if you're, for a super simple example, if you go for a sprint, if you sprint from, you know, 100 meters, your heart rate's going to go up pretty quickly because you're working really hard for that 100 meters. It's not really sustainable versus if you walk 100 meters, obviously your heart rate's going to be a little bit lower, a lot lower than if you were sprinting uh, because the demand of that, of that task is lower. So your heart doesn't need to deliver blood and oxygen to the working muscles. So just kind of trying to create a, a simple analogy like that just to kind of get the ball rolling to get people on board with that oh okay yeah that makes complete sense you know move faster harder work harder your heart rate goes up a little bit but then from there backing up and saying all right well let's let's check out what your resting heart rate is let's get some baselines okay Mm -hmm. so what's your resting heart rate let's establish you know what that is right now um when, how quickly do you recover? So maybe we do some recovery tests where um, you do a certain amount of work over time and then we rest completely for, you know, like a minute and see how quickly the heart rate comes down and there's benchmarks that we're looking for. Uh, and then once we have those those couple of numbers, um, then we can start to put together a game plan to address that, you know, that feeling that, oh, my heart rate runs high. Well, your heart, you can control your heart rate and we can totally train that. We can train that that's heart rate to come down faster. We can train so that your lo- your resting heart rate starts to lower over time. Uh, we can train your 
uh, ability to maintain a certain heart rate for a certain level of effort over time. And that's a concept that Joel Jameson talks a lot about, uh, dynamic energy control. And I know, John, you do a great job with your, with your group classes to train people, um, in that concept. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a set of these many exercises, but I want you to keep your heart rate within a certain zone. Um, and that's just, that's it. We're just training our heart to, uh, work as only as hard as it needs to, to complete that demand at that time for that duration. Uh, as we start to learn how to do that and learn how to recover and maybe learn some different recovery positions, the heart will adapt. And that heart rate that supposedly runs high um, will become more efficient at doing work. I think the biggest, you know, it's a, a bigger issue really is the, going back to Alex's point, the oversimplification uh, of things where when it comes to stretching, oh, I sh this is tight, I want to stretch it. Uh, well, it's super easy to say, oh, my heart rate just runs high. And that's kind of making the assumption that we can't consciously control our heart rate, but we totally can. And, you know, Buddhist monks have been doing this for, you know, centuries, controlling their heart rate through breathing. There's a there's a world champion freediver named Stig Severinsen, who um, there's some videos out there of him where they're measuring his heart rate and he's actively controlling his heart rate uh, and getting his heart rate to drop um, through breath, through breath control. And there's a video out there that's, he's uh, hooked up to some machines and they're measuring his heart rate and he starts at 94 and within a minute he gets his heart rate to drop down to the upper thirties. Uh, so, and that's something that he's trained. He's been doing that. It's not something that you, you're just going to do in, you know, a, a year's time, but it's something that he's trained throughout his life. And I think the biggest thing that I want you, I want to get across to, to my clients is that, you know, it's your heart. You totally can control it. Just we need to train that that ability. It's there. You may not have it now, but we can totally control your heart rate. And a lot of times we will use heart rate monitors um, as direct objective data where they're wearing a heart rate monitor. They'll do an exercise and I'll say, okay, get into this recovery position and just focus on slow breaths and just watch how your heart rate comes down and they'll watch how it comes down. And then maybe we'll do just for comparison's sake. All right, let's do that exercise again. And now get in another, another recovery position. That's maybe a little bit harder to recover and they'll, they'll notice that it doesn't come down as quickly. So just getting that, that objective feedback of measuring your live heart rate, um, can, can be a huge buy-in for, for people to see that information because it's, it's, you can't really see your heart. You can only feel it and it can be kind of hard and, um, kind of abstract to imagine, Oh, how do I, you know, how do I get my heart rate down without that objective data? So, um, that's, that's probably the biggest, um, benefit to heart rate monitors is, is, um, is to be able to see that information and help people understand that, yeah, you can totally control your heart rate. We just got to train it and just learn how to do it. Just, it's a skill, just like anything else in the gym. Right, right. That kind of leads us into my question. So I'm going to get Alex to do the necessary here. So, John, what, what should clients do on their other training days? So this, again, like I said, relates to what Chris just talked about. It really depends on their goals, but the most common thing that we're seeing people about is just health, right? Trying to improve their health versus maybe athletes who are looking for more performance-based goals. So I recommend doing some cardiac output, some steady state in the lower 120s to 140 BPM. And this is kind of like the dynamic energy control that Chris mentioned. 
if you can work at this lower level and put in 30 to 40 minutes, if it's on a bike, if it's like some modality that allows you to work in that heart rate range, you're going to basically develop, uh, sorry, develop a, an aerobic system that's going to allow you to do a lot more stuff, a lot more things, a lot more activity, whatever it is, and also handle stress without maxing out pretty quickly. But the people I have coached who've taken this on board and done it, they have noticed huge results when it comes to just feeling better in general, but also I've you know, recommended this people who are, who are biking quite a lot. And their ability to handle larger workloads has increased dramatically from this. So, you know, it depends on the experience of a trainee. If it's someone new, you know, obviously we'll, we won't put them on the Airdyne and have, have them go for 40 minutes. We'll, we'll start out with walking. That can be a great place to start and then kind of build it up from there as they kind of adapt to that. Whereas if it's someone who's looking for performance-based goals, obviously then we're going to maybe, you know, push the envelope in the upper range a little bit more as to what they're doing with the strength training, their conditioning on the days they're not seeing me. And, uh, you know, that will come back to what sport or what's, you know, strength competition they may be doing, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, John, I like what you were saying, too, because it it, it, it ties right into what Chris was saying um, about heart rate and everything. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much resting heart rate just goes into overall mortality risks and just how long someone tends, tends to live, where like the lower their heart rate is and the more they can use those other, you know, the the... the aerobic system and those lower intensity modalities of exercise like that's going to help help them live longer it's going to help them feel better rather than just thinking like chris said earlier like oh my heart rate just runs high and it's like no it doesn't mean you're doomed to die early just because like right. where your heart rate is so yeah well uh, a well-developed aerobic system right you're pulling energy from all three energy systems so you've got more variability there to kind of do stuff for longer Whereas if you're predominantly in those upper ranges, that's not going to give you a whole lot of, of endurance or durability when it comes to exercise or, or whatever it is. Maybe it's a hike, you know? Yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Pillars of Health. You can leave us a review on iTunes. The email on the show is thepillarsofhealthpod at gmail.com. Uh, we will peace out and catch you on the next episode of the Pillars of Health.